Welcome to 20th Century Retails Podcast, I'm Vincent Panels. Our topic today is retail supply chains, time to change. To tackle this subject, my guest is Gary Newbury. Together, we will discuss the challenges of the retail supply chain and what are we likely to expect in the short term. Gary is based in Canada and he has an impressive track record, having worked with boards and business leaders to navigate disruption and reinvigorate supply chain performance in various companies. He also won different awards recently, such as being named one of the top 40 immigrants impacting on supply chains by Supply Chain Canada, and he is in the Top 100 Global Retail Influencers 2021, awarded by Rethink Retail. So Gary definitely knows his way around the supply chain, and here is our little chat. Well, hello Gary, welcome to the show, thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me on your show, Vincent. Well, I was looking forward because we're going to talk today about the supply chain and uh, you're quite familiar with it as a, as a specialist. Um, maybe let's get our, our teeth right into it in, 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 with a big question. Um, perhaps you can tell us what are the main issues that retailers are facing today with the supply chain in, in general? Yeah, I, I think firstly, we need to understand what the supply chain is. And it's that whole series of, of activities, tasks, processes, which move a product typically from one place all the way through to another place. And typically within a retailer, it's receiving it from the manufacturer, CPG, FMCG, through its distribution network, puts it out to stores, uh, and then you know, the customer comes into the store, collects it, or, or it gets sent out by, by a courier to, to do a porch delivery. So that, that's broadly the supply chain. Within a retail, it can be quite fragmented as to how that's organized, but it's typically held uh, in, in silos. The big problem with the supply chain is when it's working, nobody gives two hoots about it. It's when it doesn't work that everybody suddenly becomes an armchair supply chain expert. and They know exactly how it all fits together and chances are they don't. So for retailers in their pursuit of lowering costs so they can keep uh, you know, winning business based on typically on cost rather than differential benefit. Uh, they've found ways of reducing the overall cost of the supply chain or their operation, but particularly the supply chain. So they've uh, found ways of finding sources of cheaper products. Um, and the downside of that is that often it comes in big slugs. So normally if you had a local supplier, you'd just say, just send us a pallet, please. Uh, and it comes over maybe the same day next day. But when it's when you're dealing with the Far East, it's can you send me a few containers, please? And that's given the pandemic and all the issues that we're facing, that's a big issue now because we've had massive disruption. We've had disruption in terms of the marine transportation industry has found itself in the earliest parts of the pandemic, uh, what we call blank sailings. So so capacity to move things from one place to another was was cut back then and all of a sudden China switched back on and you know the boats were in the wrong place and, and containers became the real big issue so nobody could get hold of empty containers and if you're in North America you can bring the stuff over finally get it into port and off the port and you empty it and they, they just take the empty container back and send it back to China because it pays them to do that, whereas before we used to put stuff in it and take it back to China. 
So if you're using if you're using what are called geographically extended supply chains, you're you're in some difficulty right now because you've got containers, pallet shortages, you've got uh, shortages in terms of shipping capacity, you, you've got things called rollover where you, you turn up at the port in China, go, hey, there you are. Is it? oh, sorry, can't fit on the boat this, this time. You'll have to wait another couple of weeks before we get another boat. And so there's a whole range of issues with trying to secure stock into your network so you can send it out to, to stores. So there's some tactical things, but strategically, the big thing is for, for years and years, we've never really spent much time thinking about the supply chain. It works. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Let's spend time on stores, store a future, omni-channel, all these great concepts. But it's actually the supply chain that delivers consumer value. Everything else is periphery as far as I'm concerned. Having stores is great. It brings customers in. But if a stock isn't there, you don't make a sound. Uh, merchandising bring bring you know selects the assortment, the, the, the range, of the selection that the, that the customers can buy. But if the stock's not there, guess what? You, you don't succeed. So, so supply chain is a is a core part of retailing. But if you look at any retailer and how they, most retailers, sorry, there are clearly exceptions. But if you look at most retailers, I just don't get the whole picture about the supply chain until it breaks down, in which case it's a complete and utter disaster. Uh, all right. Well, that's, uh, that's a great uh, answer, both strategical and, and uh, objective point of view there. Um, now, I'm, I'm actually quite interested in, in your views on, on this point. Last year, we had this big disruption, as you just mentioned. Um, but everybody started to think, oh, it's just a few weeks, maybe, perhaps, um, but now we see that it's actually dragging on. Yeah. Do you think that retailers could have answered differently had they known that it would have been a much longer period of time that we were going to have to face this crisis? Yeah, I, I got together. Uh, I, you know, as as a pandemic broke and we were just about to go into lockdown, and I'm based in Ontario in Canada. Um, the, the announcement was we, they, they announced some emergency measures. We switch from effectively democracy into sort of government control, and they announced a two-week lockdown. So I, I reached out to a whole bunch of uh, retailers here, retail contacts here, consultants, whatever, and, and brought them together and said, okay, what does this all mean? And I think even some of those were thinking it's only going to be a two-week thing. So I, I, I put up a Google document with a number of questions and, and tried to bring synthesize you know, eight or nine different pe people's perspectives on this. But I, I, I put it in my mind that it's going to be at least three to four months uh, before we, we, we come, become somewhat clearer about what the future. And I said that what, what we have is a three-step process and two of these go into you know, running parallel. The first one is to you know, get it done, or just do it, which is to make sure that if you... If you're in a, an essential retailer, so grocery, pharmacy, like that, you make sure you've got good stock availability on your shelves. That's the only, don't worry about any other periphery. It doesn't matter. Just make sure that you can serve your customers by making sure you've got good levels of stock coming into your, into your network and out to stores onto shelves. If you're a non-essential retailer, you've got to be doing, it basically gives you to go on to step two, 
if you're in an essential retailer, you do the just do it, but also you, you, you join the work of the other retailers, which is to, to transform boldly and quickly, which means that there'll be people who are really very, very good at getting fires put out. Leave them to do the just do it. And if they're in, say, a power retailer, get them guys to, to phone up, cancel orders and, and stop, stop, stop the thing before it gets too bad. Cancel containers, cancel shipping, cancel orders, whatever it might be. But we need to get our most clever people in a room together and just work out all these different parts of our technology, our processes, our architecture, maybe thinking about our culture structure and our KPIs, bring them together and say, we've got to finish off our digital transformation. We, we have started it, or maybe we didn't even start it, but we, we, we definitely need to finish it because we've got three to four months to, to get a plan up, a roadmap, and to develop some capabilities, which we don't know what our consumers are going to, what, what journey our consumers are going to be on through this period of time. But we have to establish some capabilities that we can adapt and then keep meeting our new uh, consumers, new, new, um, new emerging requirements. And the third stage would be to kind of discard the old uh, and live with the new. I didn't see too much evidence of that. Okay. <laughs> I think people thought it was two weeks. And don't worry, we'll be over this in two weeks. And then it became another two weeks and it became two months and it became six months and it became a year. And it becomes, oh, we're almost there. As, as we just mentioned just before we started the podcast, you know, September might be the, the month we all kind of get together. But this, this show's not over yet. We've still got another, even beyond September, we've got another six to nine months for this whole thing to unravel. Our supply chains are wrecked. I hope that what we've experienced as retailers will make us think again about geographically um, distant supply chain networks and how, how do we switch ourselves into more local, locally sourced uh, sources of product? Wow. So, yes, they could have done... They could have done, they could have moved down this path. And I, I actually spoke to a few of them, but one of them is a very large retailer. I said, how, how's this all running through? Are you, you know, doing these parallel things between, you know, getting everybody just to get the stuff done? And also, have you got a small team working on trying to develop those capabilities? Oh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to do that. Then we're going to try and get to the end of this period, and then we're going to transform. Then we're going to so do these things in parallel. It does sounds like a like a very bad circle sometimes to do the way you speak, and and it's funny because I recently chatted with uh, Hitachi Solution on this podcast about how last year's pandemic was an issue for uh, fashion retailers, as an example, uh, that their ERP systems were not ready and, and they couldn't cope with the sudden surge of, uh, of uh, e-commerce compared to the, the closure of the, their stores and everything. Do you think that the pandemic has hindered the progress of, of developing better ERPs, better symptoms, or, or do you think there's really going to be a wake-up call at some point? Yeah, I, I think the, the kind of market's segmented into a number of things. You had retailers already kind of got the picture and were already pretty much well prepared 
And so they just had to push a bit harder and then they would became very sort of e-commerce capable. Uh, and if they were locked into malls, into shopping centers, which were closed, they could either field it from warehouse or, or, or some other means. For those ones who were pondering, they had to accelerate fast. And they, they just kind of did the just do it, which was to clear out a way and just do this. And they sometimes made, uh, and, and they may come to regret some of the choices they made, but at least they got up and running. Maybe they were in a freestanding store format and they didn't have an e-commerce uh, presence. Now they did. So they could use their store stock, which would have been locked down, their staff to keep them, you know, to keep them coming to the store, keep them employed, and also satisfy their customer. And and the good thing about when you're doing something like click and collect is that you're making the customer come to you and you know your, your banners up there and it keeps that mental image in their, in their mind that you're there as a retailer for, for their needs. For those ones who, uh, like typically, it, there's many independent businesses, small retailers, who like shook their head and said, we've never needed e-commerce, never thought about it as a, as a thing. Now we have to do it. So they often turn to uh, organizations like Shopify, where they have a suite of programs they could just kind of plug in and make you e-commerce capable, but you still have ended up at the, at, the, at the store having to find ways of packing you know picking was easy because it's typically a small format store picking was easy but now we had to pack it put a label on it from a carrier we've never used before and hand it over and wait for the carrier fedex ups whatever uh, dhl to come and pick it up and and, and get it on its way to uh, the customer's home so, so I, I i think the pandemic certainly pushed a number of retailers into the e-commerce age. If they haven't been in it before, they're in it because their revenue went to zero very quickly. Well, that, that was actually going to be my, my next questions in a way that, that it's, it's a good thing that, that it kind of woke up certain retailers to push them towards e-commerce. And, and we mentioned all the, the issues on, on strategical point of view and others that, that they didn't think of it uh, sometimes or on tactical side either. Is there, uh, are there retailers that actually did well? Uh, do you have any, any great example in your mind uh, without maybe going through too much details, but of, of the ones who actually reacted accordingly and, and as they should have with the pandemic and the disruption? Yeah. I think uh, companies like Target in the US, uh, you may, may not be familiar with, they had already started to move towards a store-based fulfillment thing. They invested in ship which was a effectively a, a, an equivalent to instacart where the shoppers would come in well, sorry the organization would organize uh, workers to come in and do the shopping and then get it to, to the customer so they're already well advanced and to an extent walmart and obviously amazon already been doing this kind of stuff for, for, for you know, almost decades um and then you had the other extreme where Yeah, something like uh, here, Mastermind Toys, uh, uh, sort of uh, a Toys R Us upgrade in some ways, um, had no e-commerce presence. But guess what? As the pandemic broke and children were, were, were at home and they needed you know, to be entertained, educated, whatever, people, you know, uh, parents were kind of saying, well, Mastermind Toys, I'd get some stuff from there. And well, you can't process an order. And there was a massive push to 
to get something in place. As I said, that some of these decisions that are made may not have been done in a in a holistic way, but it was like just do it, get it done, get this system, you know, pick one, throw it in, make it work, and deliver deliver, you know, allow us to to have an e-commerce uh, presence to to be able to service the customers. And so what we might find is there's even more if we, we thought that you know retailer was retailers had islands of technology we, we probably just added another one in there with lots of interfaces which don't quite work and don't pass information quickly enough as usual yeah so so basically it always comes back to the same the same uh, answer just have your products available for your for your consumers that's one thing for sure and and i was wondering um now we've we've Of course, uh, what happened, uh, families will look a bit more into their budgets uh, coming out of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. What can retailers and, and other supply chain specialists, um, what do they need to factor into their propositions to recognize uh, the time poor and, and, and cash concerned consumer, basically? Yeah, I, I think that uh, retailers are in a really difficult spot right now because they If you're an essential retailer, you've just been, you know, yeah, churning, churning, you know, what we call the comp stores, the, the comparable uh, sales increase year on year, they're typically reporting 10, 15% growth during the pandemic because all of the uh, demand for restaurants and food service just got switched into, to, into grocery, uh, apart from what, what people ordered online. So they probably have not been super invested in like what the future is. They've just been filling up shelves and making sure people come in. For the other retailers who were typically closed or in very reduced workings, if, if the pandemic didn't drive them out of cash, then I don't know what would. What this means is there's very little money To, to invest in the kind of uh, levels of, say, automation, which would reduce their overall costs. Many retailers have been working in a world of the only thing to differentiate us from the other guys is price. They haven't really spent much time on trying to reposition their brand, their proposition, their go-to-market strategy in such a way that it's, it's a qu- quite a compelling case as to you should shop here. It's a little bit more expensive, but you should shop here because of all these, this range of uh, factors. So if they've already been working in a price to a price-sensitive um, criteria or paradigm, they're going to have to find ways of actually digging out more cost from their equation to, to, to try and meet the, the, the new, newly emerged, um, what do you call it, cost, super cost-conscious uh, consumer And I'm not sure how, how they're going to do that. I think that when we, when we open up and we are sort of semi-opened up in, in, in Ontario, uh, but we've, when we get back to normal and it, no restrictions, no masks, no lockdowns, you know, everyone's open as normal, I think there's, there's going to be a realignment within retailing. And those ones who have had very poor cash performance during the last 18 months may actually hit a brick wall where they can't lower the price low enough and still generate cash flow uh, to, to, to pay wages and, 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 the, and the rentals. Yeah. So I, I think that we're, we're, 
we've got, uh, as I said earlier, we've got a heck of a, a, a difficult time ahead of us uh, within retail because when the subsidies come off, both to companies and to individuals, we'll see just how devastating the impact of this uh, pandemic has been to, to, to us as a society. And we'll have this massive flight to value. We talked, I, I talked about it in, in, in my group um, about this back in April, May last year. And we expected it to happen last year. It hasn't happened. Government subsidies have been very generous. But when they get pulled out and um, everything starts to unravel, I think we're going to find ourselves in a very difficult situation. And for retailers who haven't spent time on differentiating their, their, their proposition, they're just going to be faced with one thing, more cost reduction, more of a race to the bottom. Well, that, that's actually good that you uh, were leading us to, towards this uh, point of the conversation because as kind of a, a last question, I was uh, wondering, in your opinion, what can we expect in the near future, seeing that we're going to have constraints of skills, finance, technology? What, what can we expect and what should it look like and, and what is likely to emerge in, in, out of all of this, basically? Yeah, there's so many... There's so many unknowns. We, we've never faced so much uncertainty, and yet we feel very confident. We, we're struggling. In our mind, we're going to say, oh, we're just going to get back to normal and resume 2019. Well, here's a headline. 2019 was a terrible year. We don't want to go back there. And many of the things that have been eroded through the pandemic means that that, that, that prospect of going back to normal It's just not. It's just not a viable option. What I think we're we're going to find is we've got cash flat businesses because they've been drained out of cash one way or another. Uh, even the central retailers are now uh, are now thinking about what does next year really look like because we've had this this uh, very buoyant demand because basically all the food service op operations were. To, to an extent close. So we've got all that revenue, but hang on, everyone in the first part of the pandemic filled up their, their pantries, their larders, their, their, you know, the kitchen cupboards full of staff because they didn't know what was ahead and they're still living off of that. <laughs> so, you know, revenue's sort of decreasing at a quite, quite an alarming rate. There's also, from a talent point of view, you, you're quite right to, to, to sort of raise that because Many of us have been working from home. We've kind of got used to working from home. We actually quite like working from home. Uh, it gives us a lot of independence. And a number of people, uh, and it's called the big shift. If you look up the big shift on, on I guess, Twitter or LinkedIn, you'll find yeah. lots of people saying, if my employer doesn't give me flexibility to choose where I work and at what times I work, I'm going to find an employer who can And they could be quite senior executives, if not now, certainly in the future. And, and having that sort of shift away from those organizations that say, look, I've got an office building. It's in you know, the town center or downtown. And it's cost me this much. I've got a, you know, a 10 year lease agreement. I've got to get my people back into it because I can't sit, I can't, you know, I can't get out of it. So I don't want an empty building. I've got to get people back uh, versus people saying that. I'm not coming back to your wretched building just because you've got a cost issue. 
So there, there's going to be a massive movement of talent. Talent, not, it's not necessarily going to um, want to work in fixed locations permanently. They want this flexibility. There's also another aspect of uh, around sustainability and environmental, which is going to uh, influence a number of a number of choices about where those people land, because there's a lot of companies that have, uh, have been spending a lot of time trying to present their green credentials, but as more transparency starts to emerge, they find that they you know the organisations that haven't really been doing a very good job at all. They've been you know a claim of greenwashing, uh, you know, saying, or, or, or performative behaviour, which is like, yeah, we're brilliant. We, we, we do great stuff here. We're very sustainable. And you look behind the scenes and actually got, you know, modern slavery and, you know, they don't give a number twos about carbon footprint and stuff like that. So that's going to be a big, big factor for certainly millennials and, and, and their, you know, their younger, younger colleagues will be very attuned to these kind of things. So, I think organisations will struggle through this time. So we, we, we've, because we don't know what's ahead of us, I, I've been saying that we, we won't kind of get through this until summer 2022. And I was saying that in October 2020 uh, and have been sort of fairly fixed on, on that timescale. We've had the sewers come out. We've had the Texas winter. We've had a whole range of you know, cyber attacks on some infrastructure in the US. It's all, it's lots of things are sort of trying to unsettle us to, to try to get us back to normal. I don't think we're going back to normal. I think that um, we have to think beyond that and think about the future, about what it's going to look like and how, how we're going to make, make our way in the world in a new world. And I think that that's a really important thing for people to start really thinking about. What's a realistic view of what the world might look like when we may be on reduced income. Uh, we may have huge debt to repay personally, corporately, and you know, at country and government level, because nobody closes down an economy for you know, 12, 18 months and says, oh, it's all right. We're all over it, guys. Let's, let's get on. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> Life isn't work like that. that. That is for sure. And and indeed, we we can expect that basically we're not coming back to uh, the old days, and and the new normal, as as people call it, will definitely not look like the old normal. Yes. Um, Gary, I want to thank you uh, because uh, it's been. Fantastic conversation. We could talk about this all day, and I'm pretty sure that we're going to come back to uh, this and perhaps have you back on the show in, in, in the near future. Uh, but as we always try to keep it in a certain time frame, I'm afraid we're going to have to say goodbye uh, to each other today. And uh, again, thanks a lot for your time. Well, thanks for having me along. Thanks, Vincent. Well, that was a very interesting uh, chat, and I hope that you guys enjoyed it. Uh, for those who want to hear a bit more, Gary has his own podcast. Uh, you can find it easily on his channel called The Business of Retail. I actually placed the link on my website as well, uh, as usual. And as usual, if you want to get in touch, don't hesitate to write an email. I also invite you to check out the website 20centretail.com for more retail stories. And join us next week for a new episode. In the meantime, thank you for listening.